This is episode 56 of Cinescope. And frying pans, who knew, right? Welcome to Cinescope, where our goal is not to criticize or to assign ratings, but rather to celebrate the movies we love, exploring story, characters, music, and relevance to the world around us. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and joining me today is Shannon Grimes to talk about one of our favorite films, Tangled. How are you doing tonight, Shannon? I am great. I get to talk about Tangled, so I'm the happiest person. I've got to say, I am so happy as well. I I just finished watching it a little while ago, was taking notes the whole time, and uh, we're continuing our sort of pseudo-Disney month that we've been going on with, and uh, this might conclude it for now, but I, I, I love this movie so much. It's been a long <laughs> time since I watched it, so... It's the best note to go out on. That's for sure. How about you <laughs> introduce yourself, uh, tell us who you are, what you do, all that good kind of stuff. Okay. Well, I am, most importantly, a Disney fanatic. I fell in love with Disney when I was little. My parents got me a couple of like the Broadway Disney albums when I was young and I just listened to them on repeat and I kind of fell in love with Disney that way. We didn't have a whole lot of movies, but the ones we did have like Beauty and the Beast and Bugs Life and Snow White, I would always watch just endlessly. And I remember when I was really little, like seven or eight, one of my life goals was to own every Disney movie when I was an adult. <laughs> so that's how I got into Disney. But um, I'm also a uh, elementary teacher's aide, and I am in in the process of becoming a Disney authorized travel agent, as well as other things, kind of on the side. Very cool. So that should be fun. It's it's been a good process so far. And I'm married to Blaine, who has been on this, this podcast before, and he is a cinephile. And so I see lots of Disney movies now, which is great, and lots of other movies, which can be great, or sometimes it's very interesting. <laughs> yes, we had Blaine on just last week to talk Ratatouille, and before that, way long time ago, to talk about The Iron Giant. And uh, I, when I contacted him about being on for Ratatouille, I said, you know, uh, listening to that other podcast that you and your wife are both on, she mentioned her love for Tangled, and I love Tangled. And how about we get her <laughs> on too? And so here you are. I was glad we were able to work that out and get you on the show. Yeah, I'm thrilled. Awesome. Well, let's let's just go ahead and jump into it. Are you ready? I am ready. Always ready. Okay, so this is Tangled. It was released on November 24th of 2010. It was co-directed by Nathan Greno, who is set to direct the upcoming 2020 Disney film Gigantic about Jack and the Giant Beanstalk. Yay! And then Byron Howard, who also directed Bolt with Chris Williams and Zootopia with Rich Moore and Jared Bush. The movie was written by Dan Fogelman, and the music here was composed by Alan Menken, known for The Little Shop of Horrors, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, both the 1991 and 2017 versions, Newsies, Aladdin, Pocahontas, Hercules, Enchanted, and of course Tangled. The songs were by Menken and lyricist Glenn Slater, who worked with Menken also on Home on the Range, Sister Act the Musical, the TV show Gallivant, and he's also worked with Andrew Lloyd Webber on the Phantom of the Opera sequel Love Never Dies and School of Rock. 
The movie stars Mandy Moore, Zachary Levi, Donna Murphy, Brad Garrett, Ron Perlman, Jeffrey Tambor, Richard Keel, M.C. Ganey, and Paul F. Tompkins. So we always start off. Uh, what was your first experience with this movie? Okay. So the first time I saw this movie was on my 18th birthday, which just made it incredibly special because you know, Rapunzel's turning 18. And I was about to go to college. I had just graduated from high school and I was excited and scared for what was out there in the world. I didn't know what to think. And I saw this movie and I watched it like three times. We rented it from a red box, my sisters and I. And I watched it like three times before we had to return it the next day because I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. Just seeing Rapunzel get out there in the world and the great music. And it was so funny, which to me was amazing because I hadn't seen any of the fairy tales that were quite that funny. Now that I look back on a lot of the Disney movies, I see that, you know, most of them are really very humorous. Uh, But I just, I loved how this was such a unique take on the traditional fairy tale and it really gave me like hope for what was ahead because it was my 18th birthday and I was like yes I could do this I'm gonna be Rapunzel (laughs) in college and it was it was great and so after that I watched it you know dozens of times when it was in its release on uh, Netflix and then finally I was able to buy it and um, I just love it. You know I we didn't watch it too far off I first watched this my freshman year of college Hmm. Uh, when I was at Texas Tech. Didn't you go to Tech, maybe? Yeah, I did. We, we were probably there at the same time. That's funny. I'm sure how we that were. works out. <laughs> um, Small I world. unfortunately didn't see it in theaters. Um, I don't know. I wasn't maybe interested at the time. It's it's not really the, the typical movie that you would maybe associate with, quote, guy films or whatever, you know? I mean, <laughs> I, I, guys, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love Disney, but even this was just a little bit under my radar because it's Rapunzel. Mm-hmm. So that being said, the first time I watched it was in a friend's dorm room at Tech and uh, we watched it on Blu-ray or something and I really liked it. I, I didn't maybe love it at the time. I enjoyed it and I enjoyed it enough that I went and bought it on Blu-ray pretty soon after. And since then, it just became something that, oh, you know, I like that movie. Let's put it in. And Mm -hmm. more and more and more when I watched it, I enjoyed it more and more. (laughs) And uh, it it sort of became one of my staple movies with my roommate. We've talked about several of them. How to Train Your Dragon, Despicable Me, Muppet Treasure Island. These are all movies that we love so much. And they were movies that we watched like on a monthly basis, even in college. And Tangled just fit right in with those. This was one of those movies we'd we'd go see a scary movie or something. We'd come back and we'd watch Tangled because it was lighthearted and fun and it would calm us down before bed. That's so funny. Yeah. It's just, it's so charming. You're right. It is so funny. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, this movie brings me to tears like few other Disney films really do. Every time. Every time, for sure. And like I said, this is the first time in probably three, four years at least that I've watched the film and it, it, just brings me back to those times spent in college. I mean, it's hard to really call it nostalgia when it was four years ago, but uh, <laughs> they were good times. And this is a movie that I I relate to, I guess, in a certain way. It rings true to me in a lot of ways and affects me emotionally because of that. Yeah, no, it's it's such a great movie. It I just like I I connect with Rapunzel. I don't know. What about you? I do to a certain extent. I mean, I think there's 
like you were saying, this this idea of going out into the world and sort of fearing what's out there. You you spend how many years? Eighteen years in public school or private school, if that's your thing, and you're you're living with your parents, and all of a sudden you're expected to go out into the world and maybe attend college or get a job or just live your life otherwise. And it's a scary prospect in a lot of senses. And Rapunzel is facing that same dilemma, and uh, she she has the courage to step out there and to face her fears and experience life. And I think that anybody can really relate to that. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many things out there that are scary. I was, I was really sheltered when I was uh, living with my parents, and I like, I, I was not, you know, I was not abused, and I was not told that I was a terrible person or anything like Rapunzel was. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, very good. But I was really sheltered. Like I spent ninety percent, maybe eighty. I spent at least eighty percent of my time in the house, like studying or at school studying. Like, I did nothing but study. That was just my life. And so to learn that there were all these things out there in the world, like that, that summer um, was the first time I ever went to like a big summer camp by myself. And, um, you know, I was ready to get ready for college. I learned to drive really late. So that was that was then. And it was just so many new experiences happening that were scary and exciting at the same time. I felt just like that scene where she's, she's like, wait, what am I doing? No, what am I doing? Yes, this is good. No, this is bad. Yes, this is good. Like, <laughs> just back and forth. Right. Let's go ahead and start talking about the story. What, what about the story or cinematography or anything in this movie draws you in? Oh, everything. I mean, I think the most obvious scene would be the lanterns because they're beautiful and fantastic. Just watching that scene, I the first time I rewinded it a couple of rewound, rewinded. I don't know what the proper <laughs> either one. <laughs> I re rewinded it a couple of times because it was just so beautiful. Like I, my eyes were glued to the screen. It was like this is the most beautiful romantic thing I've ever seen in my life. Like there, there are lanterns everywhere and it's just so serene and, and beautiful. And the music fits so well with that scene that it, it really takes my breath away. And then every time in the middle of it, when they start to kiss and Pascal turns like a crimson red, I just stop whatever I'm doing and start laughing. <laughs> yeah. Like he's blushing <laughs> <laughs> because he's so cute. <laughs> So, I mean, that scene is my favorite. I, I don't know that there are any like plot twists in this particularly because it's it it's still a fairy tale. You know, I expected that Mother Gothel was the bad one because they told us in the beginning and, you know, I expected they were going to fall in love and that she was going to find her parents. But I did really like that the story the, the way that the movie makers, all of them, put it together is is so different from the actual original fairy tale um, because just a lot of it is just really different. Like there isn't there isn't the part with going into the garden and the lettuce and, you know, thankfully Flynn doesn't fall into the bramble bushes and get blinded and stuff. All of all of the crazy things that happen in the fairy tale don't happen in this one. And um, seeing it be kind of more satirical than other movies really took me in because I love sarcasm and I communicate really heavily with it. I probably shouldn't as much as I do, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> and there were just, a, there were a couple of quotes in there that just got me because they were so sarcastic 
and so far beyond clever in any other Disney movie that I'd ever seen. Like when she tells him her name, she's like, oh, my name is Rapunzel. And he's like, Gazuntite. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know what to say. <laughs> Or uh, when they're walking in the cavern together and, and he's asking about her life. And frankly, I'm too scared to ask about the frog. Chameleon. Nuance. Like, <laughs> just fun things like that really, really got me about this movie because I just thought it was so much more fun than other movies. And I know I'm probably biased, but. <laughs> I mean, I completely agree, especially Flynn and Maximus. I think or Pascal, mm-hmm. even to a certain extent, are the the funny points of the film whether it, it's Flynn's sharp dialogue, uh, like all the ones you quoted, or whether it's Pascal being real threatening or calming animals <laughs> down or <laughs> anything like that. Uh, he, he's just a, a quirky little character. How many people out there do you see with chameleon sidekicks? None. And that, it, it's different. It's fun. And Pascal really is sort of like a metaphor for Rapunzel herself, it, hidden uh, from the world, you know, it, it's this this creature that hides, and up to this point in her life, that has been Rapunzel, hidden from the world, and uh, I, I like that sort of symbolism there. I never thought of that. That's so smart. And uh, you know, speaking of the lanterns again, it's heartbreaking that the symbol. It's initially a symbol of hope, right? Right. They create it because the queen has been saved, the baby has been born. Let let's celebrate, and so they release the lantern. But then once Rapunzel is kidnapped and taken away from them, all of a sudden that lantern takes on such a more depressing symbolism. It's now the symbol of heartbreak and the symbol of loss in Rapunzel's absence. It, it It's depressing, really. <laughs> but at the same time, while it's a symbol of loss for the parents and for the kingdom, it's a symbol of hope for Rapunzel herself. And so there, there's all these kinds of perspectives on the lanterns that changes throughout the film, depending on who the character you're with is and uh, what they've experienced up to this point. That's a, that's an interesting point. I guess I hadn't really thought of that. Like I, I had kind of thought of the irony. Like I was normally just so obsessed with the lanterns that I didn't really, it didn't really phase me that they were actually really sad, but there's definitely a lot of irony in that. Yeah, I think the the scene where it really stands out to me the most is before I see the light when we see the the older king and queen together and they're on the balcony about to release the lantern and the father's sort of just frozen in his steps and he's dejected 18 years later this still hurts and he sheds a tear and it's sad, it's tough. And that that's when it just really hit me that wow, to Rapunzel these are hope, this is curiosity, this is exploration. But to the king and queen, it's a reminder of their loss of 18 years ago. No, that makes sense. It is. It's so sad to them. But then I I almost have to wonder, in watching the TV show, I hope that this comes up again. Which, if you're listening to this and you don't know there's a TV show going on right now, you should go check it out because it's fantastic. But I almost wonder if the lanterns are going to be continued or like even just in in their storyline would they continue to use the lanterns after she returns like would that become that symbol of optimism for them that she's back i think that would be a really cool tradition and another way for the lanterns to evolve back to a symbol of joy yeah yeah i like that a lot i think it'd be fun well let's go ahead and move on to characters so starting with rapunzel what do you have to say oh 
everything. Rapunzel is my favorite because I think that she just takes she she shows a tremendous amount of courage. Thinking back to when I saw this movie, I was sheltered and everything, but my whole life I had been told like, oh, Shannon, you're going to do fine. Like I was top of my class and everything. So all my teachers loved me. So I, I always thought like I had super pride issues and I always thought I was going to succeed at everything in life. And I was still scared. I was still scared out of my wits to go to college and see everything because I didn't know what was going to happen. Like fear of failure is a really big thing for me. And so seeing Rapunzel be able to take on this adventure of going out somewhere that she's never been or never remembered that she's been, even though she has been repeatedly told throughout her life that she's you know, not good enough. She's vague. She's which like whatever that means. <laughs> she's <laughs> sloppy. She's chubby. She's defenseless. And she's, you know, she's been told that stuff from day one. She's not able to take care of herself. Quote, like mother tells her all of those things and guilts her into believing that she could not possibly survive in the world. But she is still full of courage and decides, no, like, this is my dream. This is what I need to do. I'm, you know, pretty much an adult now. And so I'm going to do this and I'm, I'm going to follow my dream and get it done. And just watching her courage grow throughout the movie just really, really inspired me because it, it always helps me kind of think about having, having courage and being able to just go forth you know in life and like it be okay if things fail her or if things fail you because originally like she thought her plan did fail her she thought Flynn abandoned her and she was really sad but she got through it like she was she still survived and so that fear of failure is something that doesn't affect Rapunzel and that's something that's that really stuck out to me about her Right. Even when she was expressing doubt and uh, concerned for how Mother Gothel would uh, respond to her leaving, she stays the course. You know, she says, I've I've already left. I'm already out here. I've come to do something and I'm going to do it because this is something that I've been wanting to do my whole life. And yes, there may be consequences, but she she has the strength to keep pushing forward and to to explore the world further even when Flynn tries to trick her into going back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's so naive, not in a bad way. She's just out of touch with the rest of the world. Uh, she doesn't even know what like a crown is or, or uh, <laughs> what its purpose is or how to wear it. She, she doesn't even know it's something to be worn. She, she puts her arm through it and uh, looks to Pascal for a confirmation. You think this is it? <laughs> of course, Pascal shakes his head. No. And she looks through it like a kaleidoscope. No, that's not it either. And she finally puts it on, the way it's meant to be worn, and uh, Pascal shakes his head no at that too. Uh, <laughs> I think they both recognize something, but it still they they don't know. And when you don't know something that simple, I mean, you really are pretty far removed. Yeah, I, I was trying to pay attention to the books she has because you know she she reads the books, she rereads the books, and I think uh -huh. one of them is cooking, one of them is geology. I meant to go back and double check what the third one was. Do you remember? I want to say astronomy. But I'm not sure. Yeah, it might have been. And that wouldn't make sense considering that she's charted them. That may be wrong. I don't know. Don't quote yeah. me on that. I'm not positive either, but I am positive on the other two. And so 
they're not even like fictional books. Like <laughs> it, it's all of this imagination that she has, the world that she's seeing out there and sort of imagining what it might be like. This is her own thoughts, her own imagination going into this. And, you know, it's funny. Mother Gothel has spent all this time telling her that she's useless, that she she wouldn't last a day out in the world. But despite that, she spent literal years in a jungle gym with her hair <laughs> and she's been honing her abilities. And because of that and having all this space that is just for herself and she's living by herself, she's become self-sufficient. So when uh -huh. she goes out into the world, uh, she's she's being brave. She's pursuing her dream. She is able to apply that the, the skills that she learned on her own to the world and it, it sets her apart but it also helps her to to overcome those fears she does have yeah she's great and one of the things that really stuck out to me also when i was watching this i was watching it again to prepare for this was when they're in the boats flynn you know asks her if she's ready and she says she's terrified because she's terrified that her dream is not going to live up to it but she still goes through it. And, and it kind of reminded me of one of those quotes that, um, I don't know, it's kind of a cheesy anonymous quote, I think. But it's like, courage is not the absence of fear. It's like the ability to go through with what you're doing, even if you're still scared. I mean, I'm butchering that quote, obviously. But <laughs> it kind of reminded me of that because I'm like, she's still scared, but she's doing it anyways. And so I really admired that. I like that about her. Also really like that she's I mean this is kind of a side side thing but I love that she's so curious because she you, you, just like you were saying like she reads three nonfiction books for fun twice a day you know right <laughs> like she just wants to know more and she's so smart and she's a super problem solver which I love I just love watching her do things with her hair because she's constantly fixing problems with her hair. Like she's in the pub and she can't get their attention. And so she uses her hair to get a branch to whack them on the head. <laughs> or <laughs> she uses her hair to be a rope for Flynn as he's gliding across the ravine. And she's just really quick and, and smart. And um, I really admire that about her. She is. And she's so charming, too. You know, everyone she comes across, whether it's ruffians and thugs or whether it's a horse named Maximus or whoever else it might be, everyone who meets her loves her because she she's so passionate about life and she's so eager to explore the world around her. And she she changes a lot of people's lives just by interacting with them. Uh, it's it's really cool. And she she herself transforms from start to finish, from being scared of Gothel at the beginning to standing up to her and fighting her at the end and even attempting to self-sacrifice for the sake of Eugene at that point. Yeah. She tries to abandon this world that she, she'd found and explored and loved so much only so that he may live. She's trying to sacrifice her freedom so that he won't die, basically. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a far journey for somebody who had only interacted with one other person before in her life to have such a strong relationship with a character like Eugene. It's, it's, it's really cool. Oh, and I, okay. I wrote down something else that I didn't want to forget. So the first couple times I watched this movie, I really loved it, but I was kind of, I felt like I was unconvinced that she would have realized 
that she had been the lost princess. But then I looked it up, and only 2% of the population has green eyes, which makes it a lot more logical. Like, 2% of the world's population has green eyes. It's the rarest color of eyes. And so it makes it much more logical that she would realize that when she's looking at these pictures of this blonde-haired, green-eyed baby who subconsciously remembers all the the sun symbols everywhere and and um it started the wheels turning i was like okay yeah i guess i could i could see her realizing that now because i wasn't totally convinced at first but i am now (laughs) (laughs) i like that and i do really like that moment when she's in her room alone and she suddenly realizes holding up the sun that she's taken from the village uh that she's subconsciously been painting this her whole life it, mm-hmm. it is a really cool moment the, when it stands out in gold uh, amongst the rest of the ceiling in her artwork. It's beautifully animated, too. I like that. Now, as for Mother Gothel, <laughs> oh, man, I, I don't know. There are very few characters I despise more than I despise Mother Gothel. And I'm being serious when I say that. Love she, to hate her. She literally fills me with rage in this movie. <laughs> what do you have to say about her? I mean, I I do. I love to hate her. Like she's she's just so pure evil. You know, she's like more evil than Cruella Deville because at least Cruella like kind of knows that she's or like it is like willing to admit that she's evil. Like Mother Gothel is just sneaky and manipulative and gross. And she's so selfish. She I know she steals somebody's daughter so that she may continue her centuries of living. I know. Like she she has literally been alive for hundreds of years and when that finally comes to an end or potentially comes to an end, she decides to steal somebody's baby rather than face mortality. It's so selfish. And yet shortly thereafter when we're first really introduced to her and the young adult Rapunzel, she tells Rapunzel that the outside world is full of the selfish people. You know, she saw that flower as hers and the rest of the world stole it from her. And so therefore Rapunzel is hers. And she even has that sickening nickname of her flower. Like, oh, yes, she's terrible. One of my uh, one of my friends in college pointed out to me that almost every time Mother Gothel interacts with Rapunzel, like she's either touching her hair or looking at her hair or speaking to her hair. Like she never even really looks at Rapunzel for herself. Like she's always just constantly fixated on her hair because that's all she cares about for her is that selfish want to just live more. That's something I hadn't ever noticed before. That's really cool. I'll have to rewatch again pretty soon so I can (laughs) find that for myself. I like that. You know, her cutesy talk with Rapunzel, it, it sickens me <laughs> because yes. because so much of it actually sounds somewhat genuine. And that's what sickens me about it is that she's able to convince Rapunzel that she cares about her. And they have that that whole exchange of I love you so much. I love you more. I love you most. And that probably ties in a little bit to what you're saying about her always talking to the hair is she's not talking about how. Uh, she loves Rapunzel so much and that she loves Rapunzel the most. It's that she loves her hair so much and the most. Oh, it's so, oh, it's, ugh. <laughs> I'm telling you, she makes me so angry, especially when she demeans Rapunzel, when she makes Rapunzel feel worthless mm-hmm. and robs her of her self-worth so that she trusts only Gothel rather than trusting in herself. She's so manipulative. And like I said, watching her manipulate Rapunzel and watching her make Rapunzel feel so worthless really does like enrage me while I watch the film. 
Especially because she like comes back. I always I hate this line. I you know, it's such a good line, but I hate it. When she comes back and she says, Oh, Rapunzel, I hate leaving you after fight, especially when I've done absolutely nothing wrong. If oh. you're just like, <laughs> You monster, how could you? <laughs> and something I hadn't noticed until uh, preparing for this, uh, in the reprise of Mother Knows Best, she says, I won't say I told you so. And once they get back to the tower, of course, she says, I did tell you that the world out there wasn't suitable for you. She's just the worst. I mean, she's a great villain, which is why I hate her so much. (laughs) Even one of the things I was noticing this time is even the way she's animated or like especially the way she's animated makes you hate her just a little bit more. Because if you look at the way that she actually looks like the the sharpness of her dress, she has those kind of triangular sleeves and she has little like spear-like earrings and even the curls on her hair are really sharp and her face shape, like her nose is really sharp and her jawline is sharp and her eyebrows are really sharp. Like she just, she just looks harsh. And if you compare that to Rapunzel, everything about Rapunzel is really soft and like her face is a little bit fatter, you know, but it's it's cute and like round and she has this cute little ski slope nose and all her dress is, it's like a little bit puffy and curved and she's just very soft, but every aspect that they could have possibly animated on Mother Gothel is sharp lines. That's a good point too. I just thought that was really interesting when I was looking at it. I was like, whoa, subconscious. Like, <laughs> or like It's like subliminal messaging for animation. <laughs> it is a little bit, that's for sure. Now, what about Flynn? I already talked a little bit about how I love he's, that he's so witty. But he's just so fun. He is, you know, the first, the first of the Disney princes that I can really think of. I, I guess Naveen might be a little bit, but I haven't watched that movie that many times. But he's he's just the first really funny prince that means to be funny, that means to be sarcastic and and just, you know, kind of a troublemaker. Um, but I I love how he is he is so fun and and so mischievous. But then you learn about his little backstory and you start to feel really bad for him. And one of the things that I was noticing, too, is even that he kind of, you know, has his own reasons for being the way he is. Like he has his sad backstory of being an orphan and he didn't feel like he was good enough. And so he shares this trait with Rapunzel because both of them have thought throughout their life that they're both not good enough and they both have to go on this journey to discover that, you know, they can be courageous and change. And I just, I really loved seeing them together, growing together. Right. He starts off with this obsession with surface level stuff, basically, whether it's money, status, good looks, all that kind of stuff. And he does go on a transformation when he reveals his name and reveals sort of the origin of that name. It was this book character, this swashbuckling book character that he admired as a kid. And he, this character was rich and he had status and he had looks and he could go anywhere he wanted and be whoever (laughs) he wanted to be. And Rapunzel asks, was he a thief too? And then you see almost a sort of shame that Flynn or Eugene uh, comes to have for himself because he... You almost get a sense that he 
was only stealing to make a better life for himself. That it, it wasn't something that was habitual, something that he was always going to do for the rest of his life, but rather almost like, you know, the 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 one more job trope where yeah. you're you're looking to to get that one good score so that you can retire and just enjoy your life. And that's really I think what he was aiming for. But he grows. He grows out of it. And Rapunzel is the one who helps him to realize that. I mentioned that Rapunzel tried to sacrifice for him, but it was cut short by him sacrificing <laughs> for her. Right? Right. Well, there, there's an initial sacrifice that he has when they are on the boat at the lantern scene singing I See the Light. And she says, you know, I should have given this to you a long time ago, but I was scared and uh, I'm not scared anymore. And she hands over the satchel and he pushes it away. That's the the real first moment of sacrifice that I think we see from him. Mm-hmm. And uh, then at the end, he sacrifices his life so that Rapunzel doesn't return to this life of servitude to Mother Gothel. It's a heartbreaking moment. You know he's going to live mainly because he's narrating the story from the point <laughs> after he died. Right? He, the very first line of the movie is, this is the story of how I died. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, uh, narration comes from a future tense and so he he's he's going to live through the movie and it, it comes about just about the way you would expect. But I don't think I really don't think a lot of people would have expected the cutting off of the hair, to be honest. I don't know if I did the first time I watched. Uh, yeah. OK. No, you're right. That's definitely a plot twist. You're you're totally right. I didn't I didn't even remember that one. Def, definitely surprised me the first time. You, you were you're exactly right that Mother Gothel was set up as the bad person from the beginning. We see her snatch Rapunzel from the castle. And Flynn is talking about how he died. But don't worry, it's actually a happy story. <laughs> uh, I'm not obviously not dead now. So <laughs> y- you know the the basic sort of Disney tropes, to be honest. It, it's You've got right. the bad person. You've got the, the thief with a heart of gold. <laughs> all this kind of stuff. And you know that the, the good guy dies and if he does die he comes back that that happens in beauty and the beast it happens all the time but it's the the cutting of the hair that you really don't see coming because you think that rapunzel's going to heal him and that's how he's not dead anymore right but it really goes beyond that and it's because he sacrificed himself so that she doesn't have to go on serving mother gothel for the rest of her life mm-hmm. that's so true i remember the first time though i was initially a little bit frustrated that he cut it so short (laughs) because I was like you could have like added I mean after you know after I was done crying and like okay everyone's okay you know I was looking at it and I was thinking you know like she can pull it off but couldn't you have cut it like I don't know six inches lower or something (laughs) total girl girl problem (laughs) I mean he could have cut it anywhere to be honest you're you're right (laughs) why not why not cut it halfway down so you could trim it to the length you want but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not that that's important, you know, in a moment of life and death, death and death. But I just remember being stricken by that. I thought it was curious, but it's cute. And I do like that shot where he's sort of caressing her face and then he he reaches back behind her and grabs the, the hair and then cuts it with the other hand. It, it's like you don't see it coming. They, they even hide the intent to begin with is uh, he, he's just caressing her face like final goodbye kind of thing. All that you get is the foreshadowing of the mirror breaking. Yep. And from that from that point, you should know that a shard of glass will be used somewhere. Yes, it's excellent setting up and paying off for sure. <laughs> Flynn's, a, Flynn's a great character. He, he grows so much. He probably grows the most 
I feel like of anyone in the story. I mean, Rapunzel shows a lot of great traits, but I think that Flynn changes the most. I think so too, because he's definitely turning away from his life of crime and uh, settling down and starting a family and returning to his childhood actual name. (laughs) (laughs) Eugene Fitzherbert. Yes. What about like Maximus? Maximus is great because he's pretty much a really smart dog. (laughs) Yeah, he's like part horse, (laughs) part bloodhound. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought of the bloodhound. I like that. He's just so lovable. I mean, the way he sits is obviously, he's, he's obviously supposed to be like a dog. Funny, small anecdote. So my mom doesn't watch movies. Like she, the number of actual movies she's seen, you could count on two hands, like in her entire life. Wow. And in the summer after the summer that I graduated, we were alone for a couple of days. My dad went on a business trip or something. And I said, mom, I'm making you watch Tangled. I'm making you watch it. She was like, oh, do I have to? Do I have to? I don't know. But <laughs> I made her, I made her sit down and watch the whole thing, which was, she got antsy after like 30 minutes, but she ended up loving it. And the reason she loved it was because, and I quote, well, whoever animated this really loves dogs. (laughs) 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 Because Maximus was so much like a dog. And she loves our dogs. She's a total dog person, dog and cat person. She just loves animals. And so it was funny for me to see um, how much Maximus is like a dog because he's just so he's so loyal and you know he wants to protect his owner and like he has a job and he is out there to get that job done but if you're gonna praise him and you know give him apples and stuff then he might get off course for a minute or two (laughs) (laughs) well just like everybody else he's enamored by Rapunzel Uh, she wins him over and because of her he changes his mission he makes peace with Flynn and then when the time comes and Rapunzel's in trouble Eugene is in trouble he even saves Eugene's life so that then the two of them can go off and save Rapunzel's life Uh, it's it's a complete about face and it's all because of how likable Rapunzel is and how she's able to so easily win him over that's a that's a really (laughs) funny scene when are you so tired after chasing this bad man around all day It, (laughs) it, it really is really funny I know I love that scene just watching like watching the um or Flynn you know, on looking with his shoe missing and being like just awestruck that she has such a connection with Maximus. It's always very, <laughs> very funny to watch. And then Pascal, of course, is great coaching him from the top of his head, from the top of Rapunzel's head. <laughs> <laughs> there was one Pascal moment that I wanted to mention because I hadn't really noticed it before. It's after they return to the tower at the end and Pascal turns a blue color and you know, blue, sadness, that kind of thing. But I, I took it this time as Pascal was changing the same color of Flynn's tunic uh, almost to comfort mm-hmm. her. Um, maybe not because she has reason to be upset with him. She thinks that he abandoned her. But that was just sort of something that I thought of this viewing in particular was he was turning the same blue as Eugene's tunic, which he had done at one point earlier in the film when he was perched on uh, Flynn's shoulder and waking him up with the tongue in the ear. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. (laughs) So I don't know, maybe not, but just something that popped up. That's a really interesting thing to think about. I love Pascal because he's he's always there. He's 
he's like searching for Easter eggs. Every time I watch the movie again, like I know what's happening in the foreground. That's that I don't even really have to watch for what's happening in the foreground anymore because I practically have this movie memorized. I'm always trying to watch in the background to see if Pascal is doing something funny that I haven't noticed uh-huh. before. <laughs> <laughs> and like a couple times ago was the first time that I had noticed when she's going out for the first time that he takes a piece of her hair and ties it around himself like a belt. <laughs> right. <laughs> a safety belt, <laughs> which just cracked me up endlessly. And he's always there doing funny things. And he's the, the plucky sidekick. And he's the best friend that everyone wishes they could have. Like the best friend from the movie and the one that makes that everyone makes memes about. That's like, oh, a good friend will tell you not to punch that girl. A best friend will break you out of jail or something <laughs> like Pascal is that best friend right. who is always there for you doing everything that you could ever need him for and you know turning turning the color of comfort whenever and crying with you and being funny and like scaring people off or calming down horses or whatever you need Pascal to be doing he is there doing it he even jumps in and tries to fight Gothel there at the end well ultimately he kills her if you think about it that's true too (laughs) (laughs) it's technically his fault that she's dead because he trips her on the hair (laughs) cold-hearted (laughs) <laughs> cold-blooded <laughs> both <laughs> literally <laughs> and then uh, the, really the last characters i guess we haven't mentioned are the ruffians themselves and they've got a great song which you're about to talk about i'm sure but uh it, it's just a, a fun group of characters uh very different <laughs> very eclectic in their interests and their abilities i suppose but once again characters that are enamored by rapunzel and uh, change their their complete outlook because of what she she's brought them the the joy that she has brought to their establishment. Yes, they do. They're they're so fun because the first time you walk in to the pub, you know you're following Rapunzel's face as she's terrified, looking around at all these men that smell like the color brown, <laughs> as Flynn puts it, <laughs> and it's it's just you know a bunch of unbathed kind of stinky men who wearing hooks and and eye patches and and have pointy teeth have po- pointy teeth and, and blood all over their mustache <laughs> <laughs> and then five minutes later they're singing about how they want to be concert pianists and you know open a cupcake bakery and be an interior decorator <laughs> like they're so lovable because they're so paradoxical and just really fun. Let's go ahead and use that to transition into talking about the music. So starting off with just the basic instrumental score um, by Alan Menken, do you have any favorite moments or favorite tracks on the soundtrack that you want to mention? Yes, I do. My, my favorite instrumental is the kingdom dance, which I know you talked about like that (laughs) one too. I just, On my Disney sing-along playlist, that is the only instrumental track that I have on there because I sing along with it every time. I love it so much. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Like, it's it's just so much fun. It's so catchy. And you can just dance around the room if no one's watching um, to this because 
it just brings me great joy to hear all the violins and the tambourines. And I always hear that music and I think about the yellows and the purples and the pinks. Like you can, you can feel the colors and the mood just flowing out of that song. It's so peppy and beautiful and just really, really, really matches with what what is happening on screen at that moment. Mm -hmm. There's two distinct sections in that track. Uh, The first one where she's first entering the the kingdom and she's seeing other people really for the first time, aside from ruffians and thugs and Mother Gothel and Flynn. Uh, (laughs) It's her first time like being around people, around a community and interacting with them. And so that's the first part. And then the second part is when she actually starts dancing and it's this little group and she goes to this kid and gets him to start dancing with her and goes to this guy and gets him to start dancing. And before you know it, everybody's in love with Rapunzel and they're all dancing together. Of course. Uh, It's, it's so whistleable, <laughs> which is perhaps why I like it so much because uh, <laughs> both of the sections are, are really easy to whistle. They mean really easy to get stuck in your head uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what other tracks or moments? I really love all of the instrumental music. I listen to that soundtrack constantly when I'm nervous <laughs> and it just calms me down. But I think that my favorite song is, has to be I See the Light because I think it's a beautiful, you know, showing of both of them, like peeling away their boundaries and opening themselves up, really not being afraid anymore and, and showing each other that they can accomplish what they came to accomplish. But I think that other than that, one of my favorite songs, it was not my favorite at first. At first, I didn't really like it. But the more I've listened to it, I really love When Will My Life Begin? Because it's one of the rare songs in a movie where you really, really learn about the characters. And I think that most songs, most Disney music songs are, you know, they're fun. They're great to sing along to, but they don't really give you a whole lot of either plot development or character depth. And this one, you really start to see what her life has been like for the last 18 years. Like all it takes is the two to three minutes of that song to understand, wow, she's been cooped up in here doing the same thing over and over again. And she's obviously super smart and, you know, has nothing to work with. And so she does all these things over and over and over again, like trying to just pass the time. And I love that song because it is, it progresses the plot and it tells us so much about Rapunzel. Yeah, it's a wonderful I Want song. And I like both the initial version of the song and the the both of the reprises. Because the, the original song is just like what you were saying. It's, it's establishing her routine. It's establishing that she's this character who's been cooped up and is doing the same thing day in, day out, no matter what. And it also establishes that she's dreaming about the world outside. And then the first reprise we hear is the moment right when she's about to leave the tower with Flynn and he's climbing down. She's sort of peeking over the edge and she's saying, you know, should I do this? No, here I go. And it's wrestling with herself and hesitating. Uh But then when she finally jumps down, we get this grand horn uh, and trumpet kind of fanfare as she descends. And then once she hits the ground and she feels the grass between her toes for the first time, she smells the dirt uh, we get the second reprise, and she says, it's just like I dreamed they'd be. Uh, for the first time ever, I'm completely free. It, it's so cool. I love 
all three of the When Will My Life Begin tracks. It just makes you feel, it makes you feel so happy to be experiencing that, that moment with her. Like, I can't help but smile every time she touches that grass because I'm like, it's just like you dreamed. It's so beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't you so excited, Rapunzel? Yeah, it's a great one. And then I wanted to mention Mother Knows Best because I don't like it. I mean, I, I like the song. It, it's it's Alan Menken. I can't really complain about anything he writes, to be honest. Of course. Uh, but because I despise Mother Gothel, I despise that song. But I love the reprise of Mother Knows Best it, it, because it's when Gothel's really true character is revealed even yeah. to Rapunzel. Um, and it's so much more like bombastic and it's a real, it, it's just a change. The original is like her saying, I know best because I'm right. But the reprise is her like throwing it in Rapunzel's face and saying, you think you know best, but you are wrong and you are soon going to find out. And even though I say I'm not going to tell you so, I'm going to tell you so. Yes. <laughs> and I, I, I really love the reprise, even though I, I don't care so much for the the initial version of the song. <laughs> what was really interesting about that, which I think I meant to say this earlier, but I forgot about it. I was watching some special features last night and um, you can watch the extended versions of the songs of a couple of the songs. There's an extended version of um, When Will My Life Begin the first time and Mother Knows Best. And a couple of the things that were in Mother's no- Mother Knows Best um, were just like extra animation things that didn't make it in. The song wasn't any loud longer. But one of the things that I thought was so funny and frustrating at the same time was that in the original animation, there was going to be a moment where when she says, don't forget it, or I think it's, I think it's don't forget it, you'll regret it. Or yeah. um, when she's talking about her being, her being, gone like oh when it's too late you'll see just wait and when it's too late she like sticks herself on this little handmade coffin that she's created for show to guilt Rapunzel into thinking that she will kill her mother if she doesn't obey her wow that's dark (laughs) it's so dark I can see why I didn't make it in but it just gives you this really eye-opening look at her character. I'm like, wow, she would even like, she's obviously telling Rapunzel, you know, you're going to regret it when I'm dead. But in this animation sequence, she was actually going to make herself look like she was lying in a coffin because she is so manipulative. Oh, that's the worst. She's the worst. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Literally the worst. (laughs) I love, I have a dream or I got a dream. I can't remember exactly the phrase. I've got a dream. So okay, it's thank you. I've together. got a dream. Uh, <laughs> it's just a fun song. And that moment when, uh, what's the character's, the, the the main thug's name? Do you know his name? The one with the hook. Oh, it's, it's just, it's hook hand. Okay, cool. Hook hand. That makes it nice and easy. <laughs> when he approaches Rapunzel and he's menacingly holding this axe and he says, I had a dream once. And then he tosses the axe at the the ball and chain accordion player and starts <laughs> singing. And it's the least expected thing, but it turns out to be the most fun song of the entire movie. Yes. And what makes it even more fun, perhaps while watching, is that 
Flynn is just hanging there on like an antler or something, a wall decoration. Yes. And he is so over it. He does, he does <laughs> not want to be participating in this at all. And uh, when he finally does, he sings about how his dreams are much less touchy-feely. It's all about having an island and having lots of piles of money and living his life in that way. Uh, it, it's it's so fun. I love that song. It's very fun. It's very sing along a bull. And then I see the light is just one of the best romantic duets I think across all of Disney's catalog. I love that song. It's beautiful. It is. It's just such a great moment for those two characters. The imagery is beautiful with the lanterns flying all around, and watching that after the journey they've gone on. It. It's just such a heartwarming moment, and it's singable, it's pretty, it's it's a beautiful song. One of Alan Menken's best, I think. I mean, I mean, I think that, I think everyone knows that, even if they're not willing to admit it. <laughs> 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 that that is that is the ultimate song of Disney romance because it's one of the very few songs that actually shows both characters changing and seeing what is what is happening like all of these things that they were worried about before and all of the the blinders that were on from being in a tower or you never settling down you know they're so opposite but they're so the same because Rapunzel is always you know looking out and Flynn is always running around and never wanting to to settle down and they meet in the middle and they realize like the the light is literally upon them <laughs> and they realize that they can take care of what they need to because they're courageous and they don't have to be afraid of what's happening anymore. Definitely. And wrapping up the music section, I did want to just mention a couple more instrumental moments that I really like. I really like the moment that the lanterns are finally released before I see the light. And then at the end, when the tear heals Eugene, uh, the, the track is called The Tear Heals. And what I love about it is that there are snippets of When Will My Life Begin in that song. It, as It's almost as if that is the moment that her life begins. And it it's awesome. Mm, smart. Well, cool. Let's move on to our themes and relevance section. What What's your takeaway from this movie? I think the biggest thing that I saw, which I've, I've talked about, but I'll talk about it more because there's always more to say, is really how much courage is inundated in this film. I think that every character has to work on courage and, and selflessness of course is another big one. But when we talk about courage, I thought of this quote where they're in the boat together and she gives him the satchel and she says, I should have given it to you earlier, but I was just scared. But the thing is, I'm not scared anymore. You know what I mean? And he says, I'm starting to. And it kind of made me realize at that moment that Flynn had been living, you know, scared his whole life. He was living in a blur and even changed his name because he was afraid that he wasn't likable. He was afraid that he wasn't good enough. And, you know, when Rapunzel says, I like Eugene Fitzherbert for the better, he kind of looks at her just incredulously. He was like, really? Well, you're the first, but thank you. Because he'd never heard that from anyone. He'd never heard that it could be better to be yourself than to try to be someone else. And so having the courage to realize that and to to see that who you are is better than you trying to be someone else was really eye-opening for me. 
I think that goes right along with the idea of staying true to both yourself and to what you believe is right. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's Eugene saving Rapunzel's life by sacrificing his own or Maximus abandoning his mission in order to save both Eugene and Rapunzel, or whether it's at the very end when Rapunzel finally stands up to Gothel and says, you know, I will never stop fighting you. Uh, you will never use my hair again. All these characters finally, to quote the film, see the light, right? They finally <laughs> understand what life's about and how they were living it contrary to what life is about. Rapunzel was locked up, blind to the rest of the world, and now that she's gone out and seen it, she can't turn her back on it, and she can't allow Gothel to keep her from that. And Eugene, he's not a bad guy. He's not a thief. He's not a criminal, He and he understands that about himself thanks to Rapunzel, and so he does the heroic thing, does the right thing by saving Rapunzel's life by sacrificing his own. That That fits right in with the idea of courage, I think. And then the song... I've got a dream. It's all about how all of us, the people of Earth, citizens of this world, we all have all of our hopes and dreams in common with each other. No matter our walks in life, we've all got things that we aspire to. We've all got things that we're trying to be, places we're trying to go, things we're trying to do. And as they say in the song, our differences ain't really that extreme. <laughs> and so I think there are lots of circumstances, whether it's political ideologies, whether it's religion, whether it's just academic disagreements, whatever it may be, all of us are striving for something and all of us are trying to be the best we can to to be true to ourselves and to go out and live our lives. And there comes times when we have to recognize that, I think, where we have to say, you know, this person that I may disagree with, he's fighting the fight just like I am. Mm -hmm. And maybe he sees it differently than me. But you know what? At the end of the day, we're not all that different because we're just, we're all people. We're all striving to be what we want to be. And yeah, I, I think that we all fit into each other. Yeah. I love that. Um, the scene in the thugs when they're all singing, because I loved how it, it truly brought everyone together. Like everyone totally looks different, acts different, has different backgrounds, but they all, have a dream and they're all capable of achieving it. And here you can be friends with everyone. You can, you can love all of the people who have different goals than you and you will grow from that. The last one I really had was the idea of fear of the unknown versus taking chances. You know, Rapunzel wouldn't have known how great the outside world is and how kind people can be and how beautiful uh, the earth is if she hadn't left the tower initially. Right. You know, playing it safe versus living your life and pursuing your dreams. And once you achieve a goal or whether you live that dream, at that point you get to, as Eugene says, you get to go out and you get to make a new dream. You get to find a new one and chase it. And uh, they became each other's dream. That was always a, <laughs> a heartbreaking so, line so as he leaves her dying. <laughs> yes. But... It's it's true. You don't have to let fear of the unknown after a certain point in your life stop you from reaching for that goal to begin with. Yeah, good point. Anything else? Any final thoughts on the film or other themes to take away? This isn't really a theme, but it was one thing that I forgot to mention that I love about this movie. When we were talking about how we've seen it after we've watched it multiple times, I love looking for Easter eggs in the movie. Uh-huh. 
And there are so many in this one that are, some of them are, I may be stretching a little bit, but there are a lot of references to other Disney movies. Like in her tower, she has Aurora's spinning wheel that you see multiple times. And for other princesses, you see when she first hits the ground on the grass, she blows a dandelion, which is something that Belle does when she's talking about her adventure. And then the rowboat with the thug in the pub is kind of a reference to Ariel. And even when she's like singing with all the birds and stuff, it's kind of a reference to Cinderella. And then this one I'm totally sure about because the tree where the trap door to the snuggly duckling lets out that Uh the brothers come out of is the exact same tree that Snow White runs into in the woods and is scared to death of. Really? Yeah. No, That's I cool. promise it's the same tree. <laughs> it's, it <laughs> may sound crazy, but it is. And then even this one is kind of a reference in itself to the different part of the movie. But Hookhand says, you know, I do love breaking femurs, but you can count me with the dreamers. And then <laughs> three minutes later, when you're in the quarry scene in the in the ravine, when all the rocks are falling down, one of the rocks is shaped like a femur broken in half. Oh, really? I hadn't yeah, thought that before either. Yeah, the big rock. The first time I saw that, I was in like nursing school. And so, or I had just graduated from nursing school. And so I had bones and anatomy and everything on my brain. And I noticed that right away. <laughs> and I just thought it was so funny. <laughs> that is great. I'll have to go back and uh, make a checklist of all these things so I can say that I've seen them too. And hidden Mickey's everywhere. And Pinocchio and Pumbaa are both in the pub. Okay, wow. (laughs) There's a lot of little Easter eggs in this movie that I just love looking for. I think it's a lot of fun. That is fun. Thank you for sharing. You know, final thoughts for me. I think this is probably my favorite princess movie or Disney princess movie. Yay! I'm I'm always hesitant to to designate something as a favorite unless it's Back to the Future. (laughs) (laughs) But... Aside from that, I do think that this is probably my favorite Disney princess movie. I just I get so much out of it. I laugh a lot. I cry. I mean, it's just a well-rounded movie, I think, that Mm -hmm. isn't overly long, but it's it's pretty. The voice acting is superb. The singing is awesome. The songwriting, everything is just top notch in this movie. And it's one that I return to more than any other Disney princess movie for sure. It's very, very much my favorite Disney princess movie. It's my favorite movie of all of the movies in the movie universe. <laughs> I just love it so much. I know that that is, is a really broad step to, to take, but it is my favorite movie and it probably always will be a lot because of the significance it had when I first watched it on my 18th birthday as I was going to college, you know, but I just really love how much everyone changes and grows and how beautifully it's animated and the lantern scene and Pascal and, and it's just such a beautiful reminder of how big the world is and not to be afraid of it. That's awesome. And I think it's a good ending to the official 56th episode of Cinescope. Thank you so much (laughs) for talking about this with me tonight, Shannon. Of course. Contact for the show, you can find it on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast and at CinescopePod on Twitter. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe if you feel so inclined on iTunes. It's a big boost to the show. Uh, if you have any feedback or ideas, you can email podcast at gmail.com. And you can also use that email address to contact regarding co-hosting if you have a movie that you love, like Shannon loves <laughs> Tangled here, uh, and feel like you could talk about it for a little bit. Hit me up and we'll try and get you on in the future. 
Now, Shannon, where can people find you online if they want to keep up with you? Uh, well, the easiest place to find me would be on Twitter. And my um, Twitter handle is at Disney Flowers. So you can find me there. Awesome. And then I'll also make sure to link to tabletop flicks that you're a part of. And uh... Right. And uh, Real World Rewind, which is another... It's a monthly podcast that Blaine and I do together. And we have a Tangled episode that's a lot shorter if you've gotten <laughs> through this and still want to listen to more. <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll be sure to go back and listen to that as well because I don't think I have. So looking forward to it. It's it's one of the – it was I think it was like the beginning of this year. Okay. February or something. Cool. Well, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes so other people can hear additional thoughts from you. <laughs> <laughs> The best place to find me is on Twitter at Chadadada. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. And all of the show notes and all of our contact information can be found at thecinescopepodcast.com. And that is all for this week. Thank you once again, Shannon. It's been awesome having you on the show and talking about your favorite movie. Thanks. It's been great to be here. And thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 56. I'm Chad Hopkins, this was Cinescope, and we'll be back next week with episode 57. Have fun, and celebrate movies. Mm-hmm.